Hey, one quick thing before we get started. I just want to remind you that this podcast is for information, education, and entertainment. It is not a substitute for therapy or therapeutic intervention. If you find yourself in crisis, please visit your local emergency room or contact a crisis hotline. Hey everyone, it's LaShonda from Labors of Love, and you're listening to the Labors of Love podcast. Uh, today, my guest is Janae Harden, the storytelling therapist. Hi, Janae. Hi. It's <laughs> so, so grateful to have you uh, with me and sharing you in your labor of love with my listeners. So I want to start by asking, like I do all my guests, what is your labor of love? So my labor of love, um, well, I call myself the storytelling therapist because I have two loves, two things that I absolutely adore. And that's me being a therapist. So that's one side of things, but then also there's me being a writer. So um, right now my labor of love is just crafting some black stories with black characters that just kind of tell our, you know, unique stories and um, just kind of building my brand in that way. And just being known as someone, you know, who combines therapy and writing and makes it into like something, you know, that's creative for all of us. So my labor of love is just to keep telling, you know, black stories our way, you know, and, and leaving people just feeling very empowered by it. So that's definitely my labor of love. I love that so much. Thank you for sharing. Um, three adjectives that I use to describe myself. I say, I'm a storyteller, a story holder, and a soul hugger. Storytelling is a, a large part of how I see my role and gift in the world. For me, I'm a writer who need to write these damn books. So <laughs> I'm saying that out loud for accountability to self. Um, that's right, that's right. <laughs> but um, writing has been a, a, a pivotal part in my healing journey. But what I find for me is one of the biggest gifts I think I give people, I'll say this on the individual level, is to give them back their story. Mm. People come in, you know, into the therapy space or the coaching space and they tell their story. And one of the things that I do is I tell them their story back. Mm. Oftentimes their story though, manages to not recognize or forget the resilience, mm. the power, the beauty, yep. the joy, the yep. sacredness of their story. And I'm always clear if I if I'm re-narrating someone's story, I always go, now did I add anything or take anything away? And they're always like, no, but I've never heard my story in that way. So right. I think it's really powerful when we can gift people their own story that allows them to see themselves accurately. Right. And I say that because they often come in seeing themselves through a particular lens that does not highlight, show, demonstrate, or reflect all that they are. And so I appreciate that for myself. I'm curious for you, where is where is this this labor of love rooted? How how far back does this go? And what were maybe some of the incidents or just life experiences that let you know this was how you were going to demonstrate love in the world? You know what? For me, it's been um kind of growing in me. 
all, all the time. You know, I remember even being a kid, like I was in elementary school and I would get in trouble because everybody else would be out on a playground and they would be, you know, playing kickball. And like, I would be holed up in a classroom reading a book. And I remember them like calling my mom and being like, she's not going outside to play. She wants to read. And like, you know, to them, it was like almost a negative thing. But for me, it was all about, you know, getting lost in these worlds, you know? And then also I knew at a very young age, like I can do this. You know, that's something that like, I, I can tell a story that way and I can, you know, use words to invoke, you know, feeling and, and, you know, emotion and humanity and all these different things in people. Like, I think I understood that very much at a young age. And um, so I always knew that I would grow up and I would write a book and I would be a writer. It was just kind of a matter of like when and how it would happen. But um, like I even ran into like old, you know, co-workers and stuff from, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And they were like, you know, I remember you saying you were going to write a book. And I'm like, I don't even remember saying that. But like I was saying it to them even, you know, decades before it happened, because I knew that, you know, this was something that was, you know, real for me. And so um therapy came into it, I think because I was just always so um, connected emotionally to like other people's thoughts. You know, I, I think very early on, I was able to connect it to like, you know, you're having a bad day. And I think that's affecting the moment. It's not necessarily like who you are. It's kind of also, you know, who you're showing up as right now based on all of these other external factors, you know? Mm -hmm. So um, like I said, being able to kind of combine those things and also using my words to, you know, have a conversation and to just, um, you know, also walk what I talk to, you know? So I tell people, you know, journaling and writing, like those are all things that you can use as your coping skill and as, you know, something that, you know, can help bring you back to you, but I'm also showing it and, and walking the talk as I'm doing it as well, you know? So, mm -hmm. uh, so I think that's a beautiful thing. You know, I, I love, working with my therapy clients and they're like, you know, I'm thinking about writing and writing really saved me from, from some dark moments. And I'm like, listen, me too, me too. And this is what it's turned into, you know, my work and, and my life's work and, and, you know, different ways that like I have been able to, you know, just kind of come back to me and show up as who I am in this moment, you know? So, so this is ever evolving. This is ever changing, but you know, if we're talking about a labor of love, I think it's something that continues to, you know, progress throughout my life. You know, as I change and grow as a therapist, my writing changes and grows mm -hmm. and, you know, it, it meets me where I'm at and I'm okay with that, you know? Mm. Thank you. So many things. One, <laughs> that last statement, feels so valuable to highlight. It meets me where I am. I think there is a perception um, that many people might have as I think every time someone listens to this podcast, there is a part of them that sits with the question for themselves, what is my labor of love? As they listen to countless people come on and talk about what is their labor of love? There is that question of like, well, what is my labor of love? And this this reality, this notion, and in my opinion, this freedom that you just unleashed is that it'll meet you where you are. Mm -hmm. I think so many people don't start because they have a future vision or a vision of what it needs to look like in its completion, in its totality, Absolutely. in its most perfected form. You'll never start. <laughs> if I was waiting on a pot on anything I've done to be perfect, I would never start because yeah. it's, it's, it's not, it's a, it's a myth perfection and it's never going to get there. 
But this idea that your labor of love will meet you where you are, that you don't have to go to it, that it comes to you is it's relieving. Um, it's empowering and it's beautiful. So I really appreciate you Thank sharing you. that. Also, you. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, I also tell, you know, my therapy clients that like, we have to kind of change this idea of like productivity mm-hmm. versus self-worth. Come on. Because in our minds, it's like, you know, I have to follow the formula. I have to do all of these things before I get started. And I have to make sure all these things are in place and then I'm successful. Right. So like for us, it's almost like our level of productivity and what we do in a day and what we accomplish is directly tied to our self-worth. And it's not. Mm-hmm. And it's not, they're two totally different things, but in our minds, you know, we've made that even a labor of love and it, and it shouldn't be. Yeah. In our minds and in the systems in which we are oppressed under. So I get why we think that it -hmm. is an act of resistance and liberation to separate those two things, to separate what I produce with my worth. And so absolutely. I love that. You also talked about being able to go back to when you were a child. And that is a theme that so many people say when they're talking about their labor of love. It may not always be super, super clear, Mm -hmm. but can we go back? What what brought me joy? What created a sense of safety and belonging and connection? Those are the ways that so many people have said that that was my labor of love. For me, many of my labors of love, I had to come back to. Mm-hmm. I didn't arrive at them. I was actually deconditioned out of them. Yeah. And then I had to get to a place of that active resistance that I'm talking about of going right. back right. to the right. things that were always in me, didn't leave me, but definitely got lost under the piles of productivity and how I should be and how I need to show up in the world. Yeah. So yeah. I appreciate that so much. So I often like to tell people how I met the guest. And y'all, for real, before we hit record, I didn't know. I was like, hey, girl, and we don't know each other. Did I just send you an email? And she like, yep, (laughs) that's exactly how it happened. And it started to come back to me. And I share this for a lot of reasons. One, I want y'all to know how Janae, how Janae got here. But I also want people to know that, I don't know, people make up all kinds of things. Um, and, And listeners, I have some real dedicated listeners. And what I keep trying to tell them is you need to be on here too, right? That it's not, I'm looking for, like there's this matrix and this checklist that I go through, but I'm pretty sure what happened was I saw a sponsored Facebook ad for one of Janae's books and the content of it drew me so much that I just reached out to her either through her website or an email that was provided, or it could have been even through messenger and was like, hey, <laughs> or if I had her email address, gave it to Jay and Jay sent it like, think you'll be a great guest. Um, and I'm I'm really excited because it's it's so organic. And I would love for you to tell us about your books yes. and spend some time like talking because again, I didn't read the book. So my mm-hmm. listeners know reading is a thing. Like I love books and mm-hmm. I don't be reading that much. So I didn't read her book. Let's be clear. <laughs> I didn't read any of her books. But just the description of it was so compelling for me 
that I was like, I, I want to know more of her, please. And so please take us through what books you have. And I would love to spend some time specifically on the one that, that caught my eye, but all of them really. Okay. Okay. So, um, so yeah, all of my writing is geared towards a young adults, teenagers and adults experiencing mental health issues. Um, they all feature black characters and just kind of growing up, you know, living life in America. Um, I don't know if anyone's familiar with the authors, Tiffany D Jackson or Nick Stone, but my writing is very similar to their work. So um, the book that you saw, that's my second book. That one's called 42 Minutes. And um, it's a it's a very different book. It, it's very controversial in, in some ways. And I don't mean to be um, like, you know, coy about it when I use that word, but it truly is the only word to describe it. Um, only because when I wrote that book, it was during the insurrection thing with like Donald Trump and everybody was like stomping the, the White House and all of that. Like that's kind of around the time when I wrote the book. So the premise of 42 Minutes is um, there's a black girl, you know, she goes to an all white high school and um, she's really struggling with her own mental health issues and she's really trying to get help for it. Like she recognizes something's wrong with her, something's not right. So she's going to like different agencies, different places to get help for it. But they're like, you know, sorry, you don't have insurance. So you're going to have to pay the out of pocket fee. Oh, it's $150. She's a teenager. You know, she doesn't have $150. So she's trying to like manage all of these behaviors and, um, her her own, you know, unstable mental health. And then in the meantime, at her school, there's a lot of bullying, there's a lot of racism, there's a lot of socialism type things going on, a lot of class system issues that she's just becoming aware of. And in the midst of this, she feels very much um, overcome by a lot of like the, the class issues that are happening in her community. And she kind of sees herself as almost like a Black Robin Hood you know, like stealing from the rich, giving to the poor and just kind of, um, you know, writing a lot of wrongs that are happening in her community. So have you ever seen a TV show, Dexter, or heard of Dexter? I have heard of Dexter, yes. Okay, okay. So I like to tell people this truly is like a Black version of Dexter. So she sees herself as like this Black Robin Hood and, you know, she's dealing with these mental health issues that are in the end compelling her to kill. Like there's literally voices that are saying, you know, well, well, they're, they're not a good person. They're doing this, they're doing that. And you see everything they're doing. So just kill them, just take them out, you know? And, and she actually does, she ends up doing this. So, um, the book actually opens with the murder. So the very first chapter is the murder and we don't know why she did this, what the problem is, what the issue is. And then the rest of the book kind of backtracks and looks at like kind of what led her up to that moment. So by the end of the book, you're kind of like, mm, like, I don't know whether to root for her I don't know if you know she's like this terrible killer crazed person you know and the beautiful thing about the book is all of those things are true mm. she is a killer you know what I mean but she is struggling with mental health issues and she you know these are really terrible people that she's like battling with but it's she's very like morally gray you know and um and that book is a series. It's a series and the rest of the series kind of follows her through college as she's still dealing with these same issues. And, you know, she's trying to get herself together, still trying to, you know, focus on her mental health. But, you know, she meets some characters some people in college that kind of compel her to do the same things. So it's very much her, you know, battling almost the system. Well, now I'm going to read the book. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, okay. So, ooh. 
thank you. I'm going to take a deep breath. I noticed my <laughs> nervous system was all like, I, I could feel the, like, what I appreciate is you didn't write a fairy tale. Mm. You, you wrote a book that leads us to this space of where I feel like I wind up often, which is in the complexity of the human experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And how the systems of oppression that we operate under would seem to create this idea that there's black and right, black and right, black and white, right and wrong, right, right. good and bad, and, and all of these different things. And I can truly appreciate any author who is creating an experience for me and others to sit in the gray of life mm -hmm. um, so much. And so when you talk about it being controversial, can you talk a little bit about the response? Um, you know, it, it's been very heavily weighted, you know, like some, a lot of people are like, oh, this is great. You know, this book and it kept me on the edge of my seat. And like, everybody says it reads almost like a Netflix movie. Like everybody consistently says that. Um, but then of course there's other people who are like, you know, you are, um, propelling these stereotypes and keeping these like racial things going. And, um, for example, there's one part in the book where, um, Indigo, that's her name. She's sitting down with her guidance counselor and, you know, she's in school. She's a very, very smart girl. And she's kind of telling them, you know, her thoughts about college, going to college, where she wants to go, what she wants to do. And they're like, maybe you should go to nursing school instead. You know, here's some of the programs for, you know, the Votech in the area. And she's like, well, I don't want to go to nursing school. You know, I want to go to regular school. And they're like, mm, you know, this is this is what, you know, people, you know, from uh, your neighborhood do or, you know, this is more appropriate for you. You know, but then she also has her best friend who's white and they're, you know, showing her all the four year schools and helping her out with scholarships and different things. And she's kind of feeling like, you know, well, well, what about me again? Like, why am I offered the nursing programs and different things? But like, you know, this subset of people has so many different things that are offered to them, you know? So like, these are all different things that kind of like compel and like really fuel her rage in the end, you know? Mm -hmm. And so people who are saying you're perpetuating um, these racial differences, is it your understanding that it's coming from, um, are they, are they attempting to communicate that you're highlighting racism or are they attempting to highlight that they feel like you're perpetuating negative stereo stereotypes on melanated folk or both? I think, I think more so racism. Mm -hmm. more so race. And, and it's interesting too because when you know black people read it they love it of course mm -hmm. and you know and they see so many different things in them you know in the book like there's one part in the book where like she goes to this you know regular high school party and everybody ends up drinking and you know it was just a real crazy night and then she wakes up in the morning and she's got like you know, just regular braids you know her hair is braided but she wakes up in the morning and some of her braids are like cut and she's like, what the hell happened to my braids? Like, what's going on? And then, you know, she finds out later that like one of the white boys at the party had like, while she was passed out drunk, took some scissors and like cut her hair. And he was like, oh, this is cool. I wanted to feel your hair. So, you know, I cut it, you know? And um, when I wrote that part, I didn't even really think of it as like a big thing, but so many black women were coming back to me and they're like, he cut her hair, you know, like how dare he? So like, it, it's little things like that, that, you know, I really kind of noticed the differences, mm -hmm. but I think it's one of those books where it makes white people in particular uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. you know? Well, 
claps and kudos. <laughs> and, and as soon as you said that, I was like, mm, I wonder what people yep. are yep. having this issue, right? So that there's the mirror. And mm, okay, I'm a, I'm a pin that maybe we'll come back to that. But so <laughs> I I do I I commend you and thank you for being willing to stand in that space. Um, as an author who is going to receive the feedback, um, that you are both highlighting and reflecting and mirroring and empowering and the accusations that you are continuing to perpetuate a divide and all of that stuff. And how do you, um, how do you, yeah. How do you, what am I asking? How do you keep your nervous system intact <laughs> as you navigate this space as a person who's receiving that kind of feedback? Um, you know, I, I, I love it. And in, in some instances, like if you catch me on a wrong day, I'm going to be like boohoo crying a little upset about it. But for the most part, you know, I enjoy it because this is one of those tough conversations that people need to have because it's not, you know, based on just like a black white thing. Like that is one, you know, piece of it. But I think the bigger piece of it is, you know, this girl who really is suffering, you know, from classism, you know, mm-hmm. and she really is trying to address so many different things, you know, in her community, but like, it's very hard for her to do, you know, like she, um, at one point in the book, you know, she was filling out college applications, but you know, she didn't have a computer or a printer at her house. So she had to go to the library, but they charged her like, you know, 10 cents a sheet to like print it out. And, you know, she's got to find money to do this. So with like all these little things, mm-hmm right that like turned into like really big issues for her so when people are coming to her and they're like hey did you you know um apply for college did you you know do all these things that you need to do for school and for her it's like a big issue because of everything she had to do to even get to that step to apply you know what I mean Absolutely. so, so it's definitely you know like a racial thing that's a that's a little piece of it but there's also um like the classism and then also really there is another underlying um piece of you know mental health in her family mm-hmm. and also her grandfather in the book he is uh developmentally delayed he's autistic but we don't find this out until the end of the book. So he just has all these like quirky behaviors, all these quirky things that he does. Like, you know, he's got some sensory issues and, you know, all these things, but, you know, he's older, he's in like his sixties as he's going through all this. So they think, you know, he's just quirky, but really, you know, he's autistic, but it was never really diagnosed because of this, you know, insurance and just lack of services and stuff like that. Mm, I I can really appreciate the intersectionality in which it seems like your characters your in your book are are highlighting and illuminating so awesome so i don't know if it's in this book or one of the sequels or another book altogether but i do remember reading cuz it felt i think what was compelling was what i would classify as controversy in in the comments and i i wish i could yeah, like really yeah. really remember but it yeah, was around they were going a schizophrenic <laughs> i know i was like okay and so help me bring my, like, what am I talking about? But a schizophrenic mom. Yes. Yes. Can you talk to me about this? Cause this is what was like me, like, oh, I, I need to know her more. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so my character, the voices that she's battling end up being schizophrenic schizophrenia so she is diagnosed schizophrenia, but, um, the big family secret is the fact that her mom 
was schizophrenic, but nobody said anything. Nobody told her. So she's thinking, you know, like, why do I feel these things? And why do I feel compelled to do these things? And like, why am I acting like this? And she's trying to kind of manage it and handle it on her own when really she's got this whole biological piece to it where like, you know, it's, it's in her sort of thing, you know? So she's got that. And then also coupled with the fact that they find out that her grandfather is autistic too. So it, it's just so much, you know, that mm-hmm. she's dealing with. So what were what were people's issues with that? Um, so a lot of people said that um, it was perpetuating like the worst type of stereotypes in reference to schizophrenia. Mm. So um, so here's the interesting thing about that, too. I don't disagree, you know, with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I will say is these are all things that I've seen, you know, firsthand, you know, that I've experienced. You know, I, I've been a therapist now for, you know, more than 10 years. And I always tell people like I did old school social work. I did like pounding the pavement, knocking on doors. You know, I've done in-home therapy, sitting on people's floors, playing with the kids. Like I really did, you know, like the the groundwork type of, you know, therapy and social work. So like these are all behaviors I've seen firsthand in people, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, when it's kind of put into a story form or a creative form, you know, it's very jarring to read, you know, it's very hard to read about, but again, these are all things that I've, I've seen, I've seen it. Yeah. 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 What it, what comes to mind for me as you're talking is a genuine inability, right? Because this is not taught or reinforced really in our culture, the genuine inability for so many people to recognize that they feel uncomfortable mm-hmm. and just say that. Yeah. <laughs> like it, 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 yeah. you're just so the vast majority of our, of our world of humanity mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. doesn't possess the practiced skill mm-hmm. of recognizing dysregulation and yeah. going, Ooh, this, this is dysregulating. This is uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And just saying that what we are really, really good at as a culture is trying to ease our discomfort Mm -hmm. through confrontation, um, through accusation, through finger pointing, through blaming. Yeah. Yeah. And so when I am looking at things like that, I have to take a minute for myself to regulate. And then I, I, I go through sometimes and translate. Mm -hmm. Ooh, that is really discomforting. Ooh. That's you're seeing a reflection of someone's or someone's, you know, I would imagine that as a writer, you know, you're not just writing from Janae's personal experience. You have been granted access into the deep world as therapists. Yeah, that that is that is an access card to the deepest wells of people's worlds Mm -hmm. that inform how you put this book together. Mm -hmm. And yeah. It can it can be jarring and and uncomfortable when you're seeing something you haven't seen, especially when we live in a culture that tries to convince us that everything's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unless and it, go yep. ahead. And it's told from a very realistic, you know, standpoint. And I and I do. I think that's what makes people so uncomfortable. Cause you know, there's even a scene in the book where um before they find out the grandfather is autistic, like they're kind of just out like at an event and you know, they were trying to get him dressed and get him because he always, you know, kind of just wears what he wants to wear, but they're trying to get him in like a button-up shirt. And, you know, in the scene, he's like fumbling with the things and he's like, I don't like how this feels on my skin. And he's like freaking out. And, you know, he just doesn't want to, you know, be around a group of people and they're trying to like 
like, you know, figure out like, what, you know, what's pop up? Like, what's wrong? Why are you acting like this? And the whole time, you know, it was because of his autism, mm -hmm. you know, that made him kind of, you know, have those sensory issues. So I think, you know, seeing it, and also from an adult standpoint, you know, because we're so used to seeing, you know, kids and yep. kids are diagnosed with autism and, you know, ADD and ADHD and all these things. But to see how it, you know, manifests in a grown up, mm. you know, it, it, it's very, I think, jarring again. And and I was compelled to kind of make this character, make the grandfather be like Uncle Pete and Soul Food. Remember Uncle Pete mm -hmm. and Soul Food? <laughs> that's who I was thinking about with this guy's so uncle Pete you know and, and we know how like strange he was and how you know he was very like you know standoffish in a lot of ways and and that's how it can show up sometimes so yeah I, I try my best to make it you know realistic mm -hmm. <clears throat> what I'm aware of is how desensitize is not the word that I want to use but I feel like it might be the best word in this scenario to illustrate this point that as a trauma specializing therapist and coach, again, I get invited into some of the darkest, deepest, most painful places in people's lives. I have to sometimes remember that that's not everyone's experience. <laughs> yeah. So when yeah. something is presented and I see the shock value, I guess one really good example I can use is I spent a really long time, <clears throat> excuse me, working in uh, a residential and partial hospitalization setting with mm -hmm. adolescents. Mm -hmm. And that, that was what it was, all the things. Yeah. And now I've been doing some consulting with what we would call a typical public school. Mm -hmm. some in um, areas of high privilege and mm -hmm. social economic advantage and some not. And when I come into a space that is socially and economically privileged mm -hmm. and the things that they are considering an issue, mm -hmm. I have to pause for just yeah. a second because it's really real for mm -hmm. them. And I would never want to minimize that. And I'm like, this is the heel y'all choosing to die on today. Yep. For real? like for real okay all right so let me <laughs> how how do I yeah, get right. back regulated yep. so I can be like ooh. and I am aware that when people do not have access to ways other than which they are accustomed to living and when they live in homogenous areas that most people share similar uh privilege advantage resources than to read or experience or see something that seems so contrary. It's almost like some people, I would imagine, are reading your book as if it's science fiction. Right. right. They're reading your book like, oh my God, this author is taking so many liberties. And you're like, yeah. no, that was based on yeah. an actual yeah. real thing. And yeah. I can just appreciate um, that what do I appreciate? I, I appreciate that exists, that it exists. Yeah. And I, my call to action, if you would, would be for people to practice trusting, practice trusting, practice trusting that so many of us do not have to exaggerate our lived experience mm -hmm. when mm -hmm. we tell a story. As a matter of fact, I don't, I, I, I tell this, this is, this is, this is it. Because I don't need to exaggerate. This was real yeah. life. This is yeah. exactly 
what happened. But some people throughout my whole life have always been in their mind. I think they translate that to, oh, sensationalism or, oh, she's kind of blowing that up until evidence of something. And they're like, oh, my God, you were for real. Yes, yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely. Yes. And so I, I, I so, so appreciate that. So what what um I don't know like Janae I'm so like I'm like I'm about to go let me okay you're gonna tell us how we get these books because I, <laughs> I I really appreciate that but if you were to say your 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 work as a writer your work as a therapist could be summed up mm-hmm. in a few lessons philosophies or ideas that you want to share with people what might some of those be um one thing that that I'm very serious about and that I try to tell everybody that I interact with whether it's like my therapy world or you know my writing world is you know you you literally are the center you know of your life you know you are the sun you know and don't nothing kick off around you until you are centered so what that looks like is all, at all times putting yourself first, you know, doing things that make you happy, that fulfill you, that, you know, speak to you, mind, body, spirit, because, you know, once we put ourselves at the center, you know, of everything, again, nothing kicks off around you without you. So if you're not operating at a hundred and giving, you know, what you need to give and taking care of yourself, that's the energy we're putting out. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so when, what that looks like for me is, you know, setting strict boundaries, you know, um, also making sure I make time for writing and, and just doing the things that, you know, really speak to me because I eventually, you know, I, I'm the lighthouse. I become the lighthouse and the light that I put out is what I want people to, you know, really bask in and take in. And so, you know, I call my therapy practice, it's um, restoring your destiny, counseling and consulting, because that's what I tell people, you know, we are restoring your destiny. You know, it's always been there. It's always been ready, but you know, we, we get away from it a lot of times and we, you know, let life take us in different directions. So let's get back to you. Let's get back to what lights you up. You know, what makes you happy? You know, what makes you feel good? And like really getting back to almost, you know, doing that shadow work, doing that inner child work at Mm -hmm. all times. And, you know, once we hold us down and get back to us again, that's the energy that we're going to put out, you know? Absolutely. It brings to mind something that I, I don't feel like I can say too much, which is most people think that we treat others how to treat us by how we treat them. When in actuality, we treat others how to treat us by how we treat ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, and yes. when we, <laughs> you yeah. know, when we're constantly giving, 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 giving for the thing of hoping that we can make a deposit so that we can show people this is what I want in return, mm-hmm. that that's not often the message that's taken. Yeah. But when we go, you're not going to do that to me because I don't do that to myself. Mm-hmm. People come alongside and say, oh, well, she doesn't seem to mind her have boundaries Mm -hmm. why Mm -hmm. would I then all of a sudden set them for her Mm -hmm. I can call her any time of day I know I can be extractive Mm -hmm. I'm going to do all those things because we are that to ourselves Mm -hmm. and that feels very in alignment with what I heard you saying is that when we begin to treat ourselves in loving reciprocal grounded Mm -hmm. regulated fulfilled ways we are setting that orbit yeah Mm-hmm. of of how people are going to engage with us because we are the example of that and and that feels that feels yeah that feels so good mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in so many ways yep. 
So Janae, is there anything I didn't ask you, anything we didn't get to talk about that you were really hoping that you could share with the listeners today? Um, I think we covered everything. Yeah, I'm just excited to get to know your audience, um, get to know you as well, and and just kind of see where this takes us. Um, I love connecting with other therapists, especially Black therapists, because the conversation just is is so you know different and um and just full of just that resiliency and, yes. and resistance. You know, all those R words. You know, <laughs> yeah, 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 all the things. And yeah, yeah, yeah we ain't got to explain it. Mm-hmm. It's just all that resonance, like oh. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I'll go ahead. No, no. I just I thank you for having me. Yeah, just looking forward to getting to know you and your audience better. So absolutely. So if people heard something that you said and they're like, oh, I just want to reach out to her, talk to her or also let me get my hand on that series. Like, how do I get this book? (laughs) How can people find you and your books? So all of my books, they are on Amazon. So I always direct people there because it helps the algorithm, of course. Um, so yeah, you could just put in my name, Janae Harden on Amazon. And then all of my books are on also on my website. And my website is www.nayrites.com. Um, and of course, I'm on all the socials, um, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. Um, I love Instagram. So I'm normally on that one the most. So if anybody, okay. anything from me, that's where you can find me at. Um, what are the titles also- of your books? Sure. My first one is called Hey Brown Girl. So that one is um, actually that's my bestseller. We didn't even talk about Hey Brown Girl. Yeah. Hey Brown Girl is my bestselling book to date. It actually won book cover of the year. It's won quite a few awards. Um, And that one is about um, another teenage black girl lives with her family. Everything is going relatively well with them until uh, Child Protective Services ends up taking away her younger cousin. So he ends up moving in with them and Mm. he's very traumatized. He's got a lot of different behaviors and he ends up like turning their house upside down so the book kind of moves through like how the family rebuilds themselves after he moves in yeah so um then yeah then there's the series it's called the indigo lewis series and the first book is called 42 minutes and um yeah and i have quite a few more books that are in you know various stages of publishing working with some publishing houses agents so there's a lot of really you know interesting things that are kicking off for me just based on you know words and my love for words so Mm -hmm. I'm, i'm just so excited for all of it i thank you thank you so much um, for joining us today, for sharing your labor of love with me and my listeners, but also just for your contribution to the restoration of this world. Thank you so much. I'm so glad you're able to join us. Uh, per usual, y'all, I want to shout out my producer, Jay Suck from Instant Classic Media. Trey Angel provides all the music for the Labors of Love podcast. And I love y'all, my listeners. Um, I will never stop saying it's not a radio station. You didn't just happen to turn here and leave it. You intentionally came to listen and I love you for it. Don't forget if you want to support my work uh, that comes to you at no cost, but costs me and my family a lot. My Patreon is still up and alive. Um, Maybe y'all can support me to finally write this book these books (laughs) let me put that out there every time i have an author on here i I feel the call to action that i am no longer able to walk away from so yes i will be diligent about that but don't forget i'm on all the major social media platforms if you haven't already go ahead and give the podcast that five star rating write a review and share the share it with your loved ones and your friends until we connect again you all be well